You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. They attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. Salutation, stats, stackers, and oh, kin. You're oh, not yet. Oh. Possible alarm. Well, it's live and it's recording. Okay. Are we good? I think so. Okay. Salutations, Sat Stackers and Kin. I'm going to start over. Salutations, Sat Stackers and Kin. You're listening to a boy named Sue. That's Mr. Sue to you, a.k.a. Phil Gibson, only on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. <clears throat> What's today? Today is Friday, July the... I never said what day it is when I do it's these. It's the 8th. July the... Yeah, it's July the 8th. I want to say 8th. I thought that was yesterday, though. Anyway, so yeah. Before we get rolling again, big shout out to our sponsor, the Bitbox O2 Hardware Wallet. Not your keys, not your cheese. You know how it is. Super sleek, uh, sexy, simple, whatever Luke likes to call it. And yeah, a lot of crazy stuff. If you've been paying attention to the show, we cover all the the mishaps and um, just people getting poor because they don't own the Bitcoin when they leave it on the exchange. And so it goes bye-bye. So if you don't want your Bitcoin to go bye-bye, then get that shit on a hardware wallet and don't be an idiot. Use the promo code Bitbox. Um, not Bit- Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple and get 5% off. And um, yeah, don't have fun staying poor. Have fun being rich because you have Bitcoin. Anyway, I'm joined with the illustrious founder of this very podcast network, Corey Tusek. I always want to say Clipson. And whenever people I tell people about you, they're like, oh, you, the swan guys? No, not the swan guy. But one I, day they'll know that there's more than one Corey in the Bitcoin space, but I am honored to uh, to be the other Corey. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because I think it must be something with our name because a lot of the things that he says, I want to say out loud, but I'm so new to the space that I haven't necessarily gain my footing to be able to uh you know have the cred to say it um yeah but yeah yeah he's he's uh yeah <clears throat> fellow Corey gang member and one day we're going to take down all the bends all the bends yeah Corey is doing a solid job of seeing the quiet parts out loud isn't he mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he sure does yeah so yeah this is like a as as uh daniel prince says whenever i have him on as a guest he says it's postman's holiday because I, I, I don't have to come up with the questions. 
Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, so, some questions for you then. Uh, by the way, if you're questioning why I'm wearing sunglasses, uh, it's because yes, I know it looked like a tool, but I don't care because this way I'm looking at my computer screen, which is lower than where the webcam is. So I just, I want to look active and engaged by you being able to not tell what I'm looking at. But anyway, anyway. We should figure out a trick for that. I mean, it's just wearing sunglasses and looking like a badass. Like, there's no trick. <laughs> there's no trick to the trade? No. <laughs> Apparently, though, you and Phil, you and Luke always wear the singlets in the, the, muscle, the muscle shirts. So I, I guess I need to start wearing those. I didn't know there was a, a podcast network uh, um, uh, dress code. Um, I won't be mad if you don't do that. Are you saying you don't want to see my pipes? <laughs> I didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that came out weird. You want to yeah, see my pipe? Better than laying pipe. Do you want to see my pipe? Um. Anyway, let, yeah. let's let's talk about you, dude. Uh, you wrote an awesome article. Very very depression in this bear market. But let's just kind of go back to court we can talk about movies plus two as well but let's just let's talk about you even before bitcoin where were you into what were you doing with your life and how did that lead to where we are now um well i was going to play in the nhl and then uh i was that was whenever i was like three or four i realized i was gonna do that um and then uh (laughs) And then, no, I mean, I played, uh, you know, like literally my entire life was hockey, um, focused around hockey. I mean, I played baseball too up to high school, but um, and I played hockey all the way through college. In, in and, what state? Because I'm in Texas and no one talks about hockey. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're hockey focused here. I mean, we're football focused and you know, when the pirates don't suck, we're baseball focused too. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, so, you know, hockey was my life spending weekends on buses and trips going all over to play. And, um, but I always loved movies and that's always something I wanted to get into. So I tell people frequently and my wife gets mad at me because I can't say this in front of the kids. Cause I, I say, I'll just like come out and say college is a scam and, um, and she's like, well, no, I want the kids to make their own mind, you know? So, so I don't say that in front of them, but, uh, I certainly won't push them into college because I tell people I wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't for hockey. I only went to play, um, because I, I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to keep going, um, as long as possible and see how far I could go. Um, and, and because of that, I was like, well, while I'm in college, I might as well study something. And I was always interested in, you know, making videos with my friends and movies and, and I loved movies and thought I had a pretty good eye for it. So, um, so I did film studies and, uh, and also I think my, there was like a minor in like digital media or some kind of BS like that. So, um, at the university of Pittsburgh and when I graduated from there, uh, in 2009, uh, we had graduation in the basketball arena and right afterwards they were changing it over to an MMA arena to film a movie called warrior. 
which was a MMA movie uh, with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And, um, and so I kind of took it upon myself to get into the movie industry that way. Cause my, you know, my parents and everybody, you know, uh, was like, I mean, it, I can't blame anyone. It's, it's a sensible thing. You come out of college. It's like, Oh, I want to work in the movie business. And everybody's like, okay, well, what are you going to do to get money? Um, and I just happened to be lucky that there was a movie filming there. So I didn't have to like move anywhere. And I, that summer, even though I graduated college, I went back to my lifeguarding job and was lifeguarding during the day. Um, and then uh, one night I found out where they were uh, shooting the movie at. And so I drove there and I pretended I just, I walked up to the set. Uh, I had looked on IMDb and I had seen the, producer's name was john kelly i had no idea if he would even be there but i i was such a noob and so like naive that i was like of course he'll be there but like they're not always there so i walk up and i say uh to an, a production assistant i said hi i'm here to meet with john kelly and i get on the walkie they're like uh, does anyone have a 20 on john kelly and like oh he's a base camp i don't know what the hell base camp is and um and so then I get in the van, they, they're like, we'll get a van for you. A van pulls up, takes me to base camp. I'm dropped off amidst all these trailers. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. So I walk into a room. I had looked him up online, like Google imaged him. And I had a rough idea as to what he looked like. And I saw what I thought was him. And I just went up and said, hey, John, it's I'm Corey Tusick. Remember you said I could job shadow you? And he was like, oh, yeah. And just like went with it like totally believed it um and what year is this 2009 okay so you were probably like 10 um but uh no <laughs> but but yeah he um yeah he just he totally believed it and was like oh, okay and he just started taking me around set introducing me to everybody um and you know showing me you know the ins and outs like this is catering this is where blah 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 and then all these different things and and at the end of the day, he was like, hey, if you want to come back and, you know, do it again tomorrow, that's cool. So I did that for like two weeks where I was basically there as like an extra set of hands. Yeah. Um, Free labor. Woo. Yeah. And just like standing there, <laughs> kind of feeling out of place, feeling awkward. And, um, what, and so, I, but before you continue, what is this guy's like, you know, resume? Um, what has he worked on? Before that, he did... Uh, the movie Into the Wild with Emil Hirsch. Oh, okay. Um, I forget. Like honestly, I haven't. Looked Wait, at that's about movie. the the guy that goes out into the wilderness and dies, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good yeah. movie. Yeah. No, good, it was a good, really good, good movie. book. Good book. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't uh, looked at his resume recently, but I mean, I know he's done some. Uh, like he works with like Jeff Probst, who does like Survivor um oh. and stuff like that so it's funny because there was a at one point later in my life in my profession i come across a movie that i'm looking to acquire the rights for and he was the producer on it so like i contacted him directly and was like um what movie was that oof, i don't even remember um uh, so obviously it did not happen it could have i honestly don't know i've i've looked at like thousands of movies at this point um and most of them are ones that people would never have even heard of um so yeah so anyways this guy he was you know super cool but 
then one day I was there and like, I didn't get any FaceTime with him. He was on the phone all day and I kind of felt like out of place. And I was like, all right, I wore out my welcome. This was it. You know, this was, this was fun while it lasted. So I drove home, went to my friend's house and I didn't have, you know, email on my phone at the time. Cause you know, remember I'm old. Um, <laughs> so I go on like their computer to check the, my email and I was just going to send them an email and say, Hey man, thanks for everything. You know, but when I logged in, I had an email from them. And it said, do you want to work for money tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so then my job was to call extras because they were trying to fill the arena with um, people to be extras in the background of the big fight. So they needed like 10,000 people. And I th- they, they had 10,000 people on a list and I just had to call them oh. and go down the line and say, hey, are you going to be there? And it was a yes, no, maybe. And I had to catalog all that. So that's what I did for days and days on end. Um, And then from that, I got a credit on that, I think as like an extras casting assistant or something. Um, That's cool. And then... Is is this still for the warrior? Yep. Yeah. So then that one ends. um, And then I... They, they put me in touch with somebody. They say, hey, there's this Denzel Washington movie coming to town. Do you want to work on it? And I was like, well, sure. So they put me in touch with someone. Uh, it was called Unstoppable. It had Chris Pine in it. Um, it's like about an out-of-control train that, uh, that they have to chase down and say. I saw that. Yeah. You did? The well, 2011 or something? Yep. Yeah. yeah. 2000. I think it came out in... 2010 anyway i saw it but yeah yeah uh that one it was funny so um i remember like talking to tom hardy you know i mean he doesn't know who i am but uh (laughs) i was um after warrior ended i like we were just standing there you know on set and um he said something like you know it's the last day he said oh you have something you have something lined up after this whatever his accent is and um (laughs) And I said, oh, you know, this Denzel Washington movie. And, and then he goes, oh, cool. I said, what about you? He said, oh, I'm going to work on this Christopher Nolan movie with, um, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. What I should have said is, hey, can I go with you? Um, but uh, that ended up being Inception. Um, Damn. I was work, going to work on. So, but, uh, but anyways, Unstoppable was fun. Um, and I spent some of my time in the nose of the train with a space heater uh i spent some i spent like a month in the woods (laughs) like the most absurd job ever like i literally stood at like this crossroads of like where like a dirt bike once drove over the train tracks and they were legally required to have somebody there to like you know not get hit by a train that was going like 80 miles per hour um down the tracks and so i literally was like in the pennsylvania wilderness for like probably five or six weeks straight and if that doesn't make you almost go insane then i don't know what will um but uh yeah so that that was fun um and sorry if i'm boring people if you heard me men- talk about this on princey's podcast before but uh you know it's it's uh yeah we i mean we did everything on that one like there's a part of the movie where like grain is shooting out of a, a train and like we were inside the train like shooting like uh like shoving like cereal out so that it like was going everywhere we had a big explosion we blew up a train um 
And a funny thing they do with the train. So what they do when they do the blow up, like explosion is they'll pack it full of like, I think in this instance, they packed it full of um, Apple Smacks, the cereal. Okay. Um, what you mean Apple Jacks? No, like what's that, that one that's like the Smacks with the frog on it? Oh, um, oh, uh, Honey Smacks. Yes. So the um, Apple Smacks, what an idiot. But uh, <laughs> whenever like, because if you ever see something blow up, it's just, it's a lot of black smoke. Yeah. Um, so in order to get the nice big orange fireball, they packed it with that, the Honey Smacks, so that whenever the flames went up, they like continued to like catch the cereal on fire and make a much uh, big fireball. Um, that's great. So, uh, so yeah, we blew up a train and, um, and I joke with my wife because I became buddies with Rosario Dawson, um, on that. We were, we were, I don't know buddies. who any of these people are other than Denzel I'm named, Washington. I'm name dropping and you're like, I have no idea. Um, okay. but, uh, uh, then yeah, I moved into some other big movies like I Am Number Four and oh Jesus Christ, there's like a so like, Lautner one and like what are what is your um, your title for all these production assistant? Okay, which was yeah. better known PA. as yeah Gaffer. PA, just basically the bitch that yeah. is like hey go do this hey like we need somebody to stand out in the rain and let somebody denzel know when it's time for him to come on set like fun stuff like that it's really it's i'll tell you the glamour wore off like the third week of unstoppable the hollywood glamour was off for me and i was like okay this isn't fun anymore um but i just knew at that point i was like i gotta like figure my way through this industry um so you know i started working on independent movies while the big movies were out of town and um and the independent movies, I met producers on there and I was like, hey, I want to do what you do and jump the ladder and, you know, all that kind of stuff and started learning from them. Um, and from that, like, then, you know, got connected to a bunch of different producers that had like connections to like, not proud to say, but like the Weinstein company, not that I knew anything or did anything there, but, you oh. know, was getting, getting to be a part of conversations that had a bigger bigger picture distribution in mind. Um, and I thought I had an angle basically back in like 2011 or 12, I was like streaming, like this is the big thing and everything is like, all the studios are going to lose power and it's all going to shift in this direction. Um, but I need to get my foot in the door. And so I started my own distribution company called turnkey films um and on a women of prayer i we went to out to the um american film market my son was like three months old and went out there uh to afm and had like four no i had two independent movies that were shot for a grand total of ten thousand dollars like they were like one of them was called teddy bomb and it was about a teddy bear that had a bomb in it. And the other one was called Sleepwalkers. And that one was pretty decent, like really, really well done for its budget. But like, wait, so you wrote and directed these? No, 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 no. I just, I acquired their rights to distribute them. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, 
you know, I sold like made them a little bit of money, but then because I did that, like other people started finding my company and, you know, so I built up this sales and distribution company where I was going around to all the major markets and festivals around the world all of a sudden and, you know, selling, taking small movies and selling them to like, you know, selling them to China, selling them to, you know, Australia. Like it it just, you go to these markets and there's buyers from all over the world. They sit down and, you know, they say, Hey, we want, you know, we're looking for a bunch of family films. You know, we'll buy this slate of 10 family films from you for 50 grand or something like that, you know? Um, And, uh, but I also knew while I was doing that, that like that, the writing was on the wall there. Like that was going to die because, dvds were no longer a thing and um or were slowly dying or quickly dying at that time and then broadcast like tv as we know is just like dead now it's a shell of itself that's where a lot of those deals would come from it would be like you know one of the tv channels in australia would be like hey can we license this for australia for seven years or whatever you know you're like okay um and then it slowly was turning into, okay, the only way you're going to make money is if you sell it to Netflix or Amazon or one of the streamers. Um, and I started doing that and like had good connections there and was making, you know, not like great money, but just like good enough that like, you know, my wife didn't have to work and she was a stay-at-home mom and we were taking care of everything. And um, I got comfortable um, there and then that's whenever Movies Plus started to fester in my mind. So if, stop me if you have any questions, or if not, I'll just keep rolling. No, this is great. I mean, we kind of like talked off mic like a couple months back where you were doing sales for a while. So there was kind of like a gap where you took a break from film. Is that right? Oh, yeah. So from, let's see, from, there was like a two-year period that I worked for um comcast universal selling tv ads um and i basically did that like i was kind of at my wits end um with like okay i need i'm not gonna work on productions anymore and i knew done being a movie bitch yes i was done running and getting coffee for people which people don't know so like when you see in in the credits you'll see And I'm not like, I don't mean to disparage what assistant directors do, yeah. but it just wasn't my, what I wanted. And I think there's a lot of people that they want to become an assistant director because it looks good. Like you tell people I'm an assistant director on such and such, you know, I'm an an assistant director on the Avengers. I mean, I got, I could have got, I got offered to work in the AD department on the first Avengers movie. And this was like around the time that I was like, ah, I can't do that anymore. Like, I just can't be the movie bitch anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was like, so the, I was on the path, like I could have done it because you basically collect, you need like 600 days working on a union show as a production assistant in the AD department. And then you can apply to join the Directors Guild of America and then once you become the join the directors guild of america you can become a first second or second second assistant director um which second second is the stupidest thing just call it the third assistant director (laughs) but they're literally called the second second assistant director um and 
so the and like i was like at first i was like oh this like i told my parents when i first started like on unstoppable i was like i'm on my track to become an assistant director and they were like that's great um and then i realized i was like wait a minute so the first assistant director just stands next to the director and he relays information like okay we're rolling you know or like hey we need you know a gaffer uh we need you know they need lights over you know like whatever or all right send the actors back we'll do rehearsal in 20 like you're just doing a schedule I was like, so you're yeah. not directing the movie. The director's directing the movie. So then I looked at the second AD. It's just an upper tier movie bitch. Yeah. Then I looked at the second AD and the second AD, their job was to like. And sit. also, I don't want to like disparage. Like, it's just fun to say like yeah, movie yeah, bitch. No, but no, like no. you have to do this in every kind of like profession or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're out there in the field, like you're going to need these people. Like I don't have a problem like doing stuff like that myself it's just yeah just know, to get any, started. any movie people like listening i don't think they think that we're disparaging them no no it, it but like i always tell people in the movie business you have to like be realistic with yourself of like what do you want yeah out of your career and i was just sitting there looking at like i wanted to be a creative person i wanted to have an impact on the business frankly and i was just like because the second assistant director their whole job is to make up the schedule so that's what they do the whole day. And then the second, second assistant director, their job is to like bring the actors back and forth to set and stuff like that. So it was just like, I was like, just a ladder of middlemen. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to like, I'm going to really commit to like getting 600 days, which is going to take me, you know, probably two and a half years to accumulate yeah. that many days, if not three years. And then I have to apply for the DGA and get in and then I can become a second, second assistant director. And maybe five to 10 years later, I can work my way up to a first assistant director. So like at this point, we're talking like 15 years from now, I can be a first AD standing next to a director telling actors, okay, go back and come back in 20 minutes. And I was like, no, that's not what I want. Like, and so, yeah, so I, like that was it was honestly it was the avengers i think the last movie i worked on was the dark knight rises dope um and i only did that one really because i wanted to be able to say i was in gotham city because gotham city <laughs> is like a mythical place so you can't be there unless like i told my wife i said i just want to be there because like you know it's like atlantis that like if it pops up out of the ocean like it's only there at that time like where the set was that is gotham city but like if you go back there it's not gotham city it's only during that day where was so it like, actually filmed um it was between pittsburgh london chicago uh i think that was mainly it um and um because they kind of hodgepodge the cities together to make yeah. it look like you know a different city so anyways, um, yeah, Continuity. it was after, yeah, so after that, I, then like the Avengers, it was like, oh man, like I could really rise up the ladder here. And I was like, nope. Um, so I took this job because I told my wife I wanted to get some business experience, like selling. So I got into like the sales, like selling ads and getting in the corporate world. I think it was good to like kind of cut my teeth that way. Because otherwise, I would have looked like an idiot 
walking into like business meetings trying to sell movies yeah um, i mean all of these experiences is just you working on all the skills you need to get where you are now yeah and i think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize if they're working towards something like they need to have like that set of skills and in, in their tool belt to actually you know, execute what they ultimately want to accomplish mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's like you know they all they all play a role in getting me to where I am and and then like well it's funny too because like so if you're a production assistant on a set you're basically like in pure panic for like 16 hours a day because you like your your job is to be attentive to the walkie talkie like you have a walkie in your ear and you just listen and the moment somebody needs something if you have to decide am I the person that's close enough that can they can take care of that if so i gotta take care of it so you're just like it's this miserable life where you're just like on edge all day and um and then like you work like you're the first to show up you're the last to leave and it got to the point i was working on a movie i would get home and i remember thinking to myself this was towards the end where i was like i can't do this anymore i was like if i pass out at the front door at best, I have five hours of sleep. Like if I slept on the porch as soon as I got home, didn't do anything, didn't eat, didn't have time to myself, didn't take a shower, I would have five hours of sleep. It was like, oh my God. And the longest day I ever worked was 27 and a half hours. Yeah. Straight, nonstop. Um, I wanted to die. I made a ton of money that day though because of overtime. <laughs> but you know, it was like three and a half days, like working days. Uh huh. Yeah, I started at like started at three o'clock on Saturday, and finished at six thirty on Sunday. This is your friendly reminder to rate, subscribe, review. They say the best things they come in threes, like rate, subscribe, review. If you rate it five stars, we can raise the bar. Subscribe so you can stay in tune. And don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue. Rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. Not your keys, not your coin. If you're in Bitcoin and you haven't heard this, you're hearing it now. The value proposition of Bitcoin is that you are your own bank. You take complete self-custody of this thing and you don't need to trust anyone but yourself. As Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm pretty sure that all you Bitcoiner dudes and ladies out there can put on your grown-up pants and take self-custody. Honestly, one of the best options is the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. Because it's just sleek and voluptuous and lovely. And it's user-friendly. And that's what we want out of Bitcoin. We want to be able to store Bitcoin, access it, use it in a way that a toddler can. And that's pretty much what you're getting from the Bitbox O2. You got your cold storage on a hardware device and you can sleep soundly at night knowing that you're your own bank and no one else can come and steal your Bitcoin. 
And that's all possible with Ship Crypto's Bitbox 02. So if you want to put on your big boy and big girl pants and be a good Bitcoiner and actually own your money, as opposed to putting it on an exchange or a bank, let's just call them for what they are, a bank, where they're rehypothecating that Bitcoin. And again, this isn't your Bitcoin. If you put it on there, it's theirs. And so it's not your money they're losing, it's their money they're losing because they're trying to use that Bitcoin to make more money, take the spread, the VIG, if you will. And honestly, they go tits up because they're bad actors and they don't care about you and your wealth because when your Bitcoin's with them, it's no longer yours. So if you want to bypass all of that, Go to shiftcrypto.ch and snag yourself a Bitbox 02. Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple, all caps, no spaces, for 5% off a Bitbox 02 from shiftcrypto.ch. Because self custody is self sovereignty. Get that Bitcoin in the right hands. Your hands. Yeah, I want to. Like these positions, like these middleman bitch positions, not just the film industry, but everywhere, they mm-hmm. must be just constructs of the bureaucracy that just kind of like forms naturally in any in industry. So the, the directors and people can like stay there and yeah. they can just take on, hey, you know, this person doesn't need to cut their teeth and get 600 hours. Or maybe they do because like they're unionized or whatever. So they have regulations or whatever. But if you're the director and or the executive director, you know, probably more so because they've got the money that can that fund this shit. But I mean, if you're the director, you can be, just basically say, hey, like this person, this person, like up here, and just probably just, you know, cut in line of mm-hmm. all these other gaffers. And these are just basically like job protection constructs. I would imagine that oh, yeah. people need to go through these like bullshit like criteria. I mean, it's just like going back to like like college is a scam. You know, yeah. you don't need to waste all this time and and money in these classrooms and just hours of bullshit and indoctrination. Like it's just another construct. And yeah. where you know you spent and cut your teeth to the point where you're like, okay, I'm done with this. Went to do the same thing in selling advertising, and and now you're you're here and instead of just wasting years not doing what you wanted to do like you just got everything that you needed out of it took advantage of it for your own advantage so Mm -hmm. you could you know ultimately do movies plus or you know you just know enough to do what's necessary well yeah and so it's funny because with movies plus like basically um you know in my mind i knew that a streaming platform had to launch in order for me to continue to have be like my own business. Cause the other option was like, there's not going to be movies to sell for sales agents much longer. So the other option is, you know, go and work for Netflix. Like I didn't really want to do that at the time. I was like, I want to work for myself. Um, and so, so what we did was, um, you know, we talked about it, me and my wife were talking about it, like, yeah, eventually, eventually we'll have a streaming platform. Um, and then uh, I become a Bitcoiner in like uh, March, April of 2020. Well, I guess I was always a Bitcoiner because I, I mentioned in the article how this one kid that I worked on a movie 
on his movie with uh, back in like 2010. It was an indie that I worked on. And then um, with Val Kilmer called uh, Riddle. And then uh, Nick Moross, who this, is this kid, that he ended up going and making uh, the, the Rise and Rise of Bitcoin. This yeah. documentary that probably every Bitcoiner has seen. And, um, and his brother, who was like in Pittsburgh here and everything, um, was like really into Bitcoin. This was like 2011 and he was mining Bitcoin in his basement and stuff like that. And, um, and so that was the, my first intro to Bitcoin and now I, I ignored it and all that kind of stuff. So then I fast forward, I end up becoming, you know, we can talk about my Bitcoin journey after when we get into the article, but, you know, I become a Bitcoiner. And then that summer, you know, I'm like really, I was like a freedom of speech maximalist and hated seeing all the like trampling of freedoms. And, um, and then in September of 2020, I was contacted by um, the filmmaker who made the movie, the plot against the president, which was about the Trump Russia gate hoax, which, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter um, and people probably don't believe that, uh, but I am a freedom of speech supporter and the filmmaker, she was like, I think I'm going to get censored. And I was like, well, you're definitely getting censored. I can promise <laughs> you, you're trying to release a movie like a month before the election about like showing what that Trump was not like that was, he was innocent. This whole thing was a hoax, the Russia thing. Um, so I was like, that doesn't excuse him being a terrible person in other aspects, but I was like, but yes, this very specific thing is going to get censored because they don't want to shine any good light on him. But I was like, I will fight for you. I'll get it on the platforms. So, you know, we got it queued up to try and get it on iTunes and Google and, you know, Amazon and everything. And she said, is there any platform that won't censor it? And I just was like, yeah, my platform. And she was like, oh, you have a streaming platform? I said, yeah, we were going to launch it, you know, in a couple months, but I could like fast track it and like put so much work on my shoulders, but it paid off. And um, yeah, I had to like slap it together and, you know, come up with the name Movies Plus later that night. Like, oh, Movies Plus. And um, how did that come about? Because I've been thinking about this because like just Apple Plus or TV Plus and stuff I and mean, was it just like fuck it well, i'll just use this or yeah was there it was any just, inspiration no like i literally was putting my son to bed and like laying there and thinking like my mind because i had told her like four or five hours earlier like yeah i have my own streaming platform and um and so i'm just like laying there like what is it called and then i thought movies plus so I'm like, it has to be taken. And I like Google it and there's no movies plus nothing. Oh, in the great. App stores. great. I was like, Oh shit. So I run downstairs and tell my wife, I said, movies plus. And she's like, that has to be taken. I was like, look everywhere. I promise it's not. So we like immediately, you know, grabbed the name, you know, filed all the paperwork and everything and, and, um, got it up and running. And, um, and sure enough, whenever they wanted to release the movie, Amazon was slow rolling it. So they, I'd never seen this before. Amazon, like you, if I would, I would publish titles to Amazon. I'd deliver the files, put everything up. You could see it was in queue. It would take like one to three days and then it would be available. Um, 
And I was sitting there and it was like that for like a week. And I was like, this is getting weird. Um, what are the odds that a Trump movie is getting slowed down? And I mean, I was putting other movies through that were getting through yeah. fine after that. So, so like before you launched the platform, you were just like being the distributor for all these filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So then, um, so we launch because it's slow rolling, we launch it on uh, Movies Plus. And I mean, it just does gangbusters like thousands of people signed up like i mean it went it went nuts it was crazy like um i'm pretty sure trump himself tweeted the trailer out at one point <laughs> and like it was just it was the weirdest thing because then like you know the hollywood reporter contacts me and it's like, hey, you know, we heard this is getting, you know, blackballed by everybody else. And um, and so I ended up going off and just like, you know, telling telling my story of what was going on. And and then ended up if you look, if you go on like Google and Google my name, Hollywood Reporter Trump, you'll probably see it. And and uh, uh, yeah, I like kind of just like railed. And then like when I was done talking, I like hung up and I was like, I don't know what I just said. I was like, I hope it came out all right. So I was so nervous when the article came out. Um, but it was funny in the article, you know, they said we reached out to Amazon, but they didn't, you know, respond for comment with a comment. And then like, maybe, I don't know, it was like 45 minutes to an hour later after the article came out, Amazon all of a sudden had it available. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was a it was a big boost for Movies Plus. Um, Money talks, bitch. Yep. And it's just funny how it worked and like, you know, we, people probably don't, I mean, I've, I think I've told this before, but like me and my wife were literally like, so like a f timid and not, we didn't want to put ourselves in the limelight. We're, like I enjoyed, you know, it was just this comfy lifestyle of like, Hey, we're not like killing it, but we're, you know, we're surviving, doing all right, putting money away. Um, and I don't have to deal with any, you know backlash um and so you know we decided to i decided to put my balls on the line and um so that was weird so now all of a sudden i'm in the public eye to a degree and and then uh you know we went off but then once we at once the election was over we wanted to make sure we stayed away from like we weren't just right wing we were you know for any suppression of speech and and then I ended up getting connected to my investors who came on as partners and, um, you know, it just, they, they came on, provided some seed money that helped us get the apps developed and, and, um, and then, yeah, we, we started formulating our plan and, and, uh, growing and adding titles. And, you know, now we're to the point, like, you know, we have a year and a half later and we have uh the apps haven't even been available for a year and they and we have uh 250,000 plus downloads and um you know it's just cruising right along and in the very near future there'll probably be people will be hearing a lot about movies plus because of some stuff we're about to announce that's going to that Phil knows about that's going to totally f some stuff up and really you know start flipping tables in the in the temple um and uh okay so 
I think there's two unofficial slogans for Movies Plus. One is uncut yourself. Mm-hmm. Second is burning down the cathedral. Yeah. I, I could get behind both. <laughs> I could get behind both. I mean, it's, because so it's just so important because and that is, yes, fix the money, fix the world. And I guess we can segue into Bitcoin now. But fix the money, fix the world. You can't have all, all this corruption when you have the money corrupted, which corrupts people's incentives. But still, regardless, you need to have the spigot of information not cleanse, just hands off as well. Mm-hmm. You need to just have things naturally come through. And that essentially in nature is how order basically like sprouts from, from the ground because it's, it's organic, it's grassroots. And whatever works, works. And whatever doesn't work, doesn't. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of a survival of the fittest and is ultimately free market of association and, and speech. And that's why mm-hmm. I think it's so important as people in Bitcoin say that money is free speech, the freedom to vote with your money, like Bitcoin ultimately is free speech, not only because it's just code numbers and digits and uh, characters, but the permissionless nature of it to freely express your values and goals and desires by, you know, choosing to purchase or not purchase whatever you want without anyone stopping you. But the same thing has to be applied to freedom of expression and thought and values expressed through entertainment. And mm-hmm. that is what is wrong, not just with the money, but the, the mainstream media is just trying to shovel down bullshit for people to believe. People are just sick of it. Like, yeah. People are just over it. Like, I think it's just... It's so obvious, and like that's why Movies Plus is going to do so well because, like, even if you're on the right wing, people don't. People are just sick of it. Like, people don't want to tune into Fox News. You know what I mean? Like, people are just except like, Tucker. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But it's like both sides. It's like there's just so many of us now that are like looking at both the right and left, and we're like, just, just shut up, <laughs> just shut up, stop. Like, all of us here in the middle, we're cool. We don't care what anyone else does as long as they don't bother us. Leave us alone. And that is really the biggest, like the thing that, you know, made me nervous about it is because it's the biggest, it's the biggest threat to the powers that be is not being on one side or the other. It's being in the middle, trying to get everybody to get along. Objective. Yep. Because, you know, I say it, I've said it before, but the king and queen, they are only happy when they look over the walls of the castle and see everybody's fighting. If everybody's getting along, they start to worry because then they're going to come storm the castle and go, wait a minute, this is bullshit. Like, why are we subjective to you? And why are we your subordinates and everything? So they, it, they like the, fa- the fights between the two sides because then you're not focused on the real thing. You're not focused on what's really happening. And a lot of us in Bitcoin know that we're like, you know, you you look at things that are going on. Like one of the things, whenever Roe v. Wade got overturned, I immediately was like, what, why now? What are they trying to distract us from? Like there's something that's trying to, they're trying to get us stirred up so that we don't notice some trick that's getting pulled. And, you know, maybe it is the, the, the money i don't know 
I mean, it was ultimately a way for the Democrats to get more votes because they are running out of tricks in their hat. And so they're just desperate. And this is how, I mean, what I talk about, like with Davos, they're just trying to use leftism to corrupt and pollute the, the zeitgeist and people's morale. And so, again, it, it was just used to, you know, create that. Um, um, I'm having trouble with words. Just to create a distraction, but to rally up their their troops and their their base and their uh, voting constituency, but it's not going to uh, it's, it's not going to work because it's going to be a red sweep come midterms. So they're just running out of out of tricks. Yeah, and I mean I think it's you know the powers in general are running out of tricks because. Like, here's the fun thing. This is what I love about the world switching over to a streaming world is that, like, you used to be able to hide god-awful movies behind, like, a controlling the narrative, controlling the media, you know, like, let's just say, for example, Disney makes terrible Star Wars movies, and they're horrific, and they're terrible movies, they're poorly executed, the only thing that's good about them is the visual effects and the things that like, you know, the average filmmaker doesn't have their hands on. Well, Disney then goes on a campaign of, you know, they, they have this monopoly. Like you, if you don't write something good about the movie in a review, then you're not allowed at the next screening. You're not given access to the next screening and therefore you can't write an article for your job so you'll you'll literally lose your job because you no longer get in getting access. So you have to give all these puff pieces and fluff pieces to Disney and it tricks people into thinking, oh, oh, that Star Wars movie looks good. So and so gave it four or five stars. I should go see it. And, you know, or any of the Marvel soy movies that are just so, so weak um, and and they they get these inflated numbers, these huge box office returns and um occasionally they have duds well now the proof is all in the pudding like they can't manipulate box office they can't do that all they can do now is they release movies yeah there's the theaters are coming back a little bit but like really it all comes down to are people watching like if disney does not come up with good stuff then i will cancel my disney plus subscription if netflix stops coming up with good stuff. I will cancel my Netflix subscription. I actually probably will put my Netflix subscription on pause because we don't really watch much on it. And like I was waiting for, so I watched, I watched um, Ozark last season came out in May. Peaky Blinders last season came out in June and the most recent season of Stranger Things just wrapped up last week. So it's like, and I, I, I watched all those and I was like, I can't think of a thing on Netflix that I need to watch yeah. in the near future. So like they're all these platforms are, they, they can't use the box office as this huge boon of cash anymore. It, they have yeah. to get, they have to produce content that people want and they don't really know that yet, or they haven't fully accepted it, which is why movies plus stands to benefit because we're going to, we are going through things with a fine tooth comb and one are producing stuff that people want to see. 
Yeah. And what is, um, what is that process of figuring out what people want? Yeah. Well, I mean, the easy other thing- than just like you know, people getting silenced because of course there's going to be a demand for something you can't have. Just like telling a kid you can't have cookies. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the, it's easy right now because like people are getting silenced, so you know we can target those. Um, but like, really, it comes down to like telling good stories. Yeah. So, I'll tell you, like, the, the here is the problem with what Holly, where Hollywood is in their storytelling capabilities. Oh boy. Um, is it, like, I believe this is really arrogant. So, but I'm just gonna say it that I and someone else I know that would work with me, we have a collectively one of the best understandings of stories and how they should be told. Um. And so you look at, have you seen the movie Interstellar? No, there's so many movies I have not okay. seen. So you're going to need to send me a list because yeah, like yeah, even in to... everyday conversation, they're like, Phil, what the fuck is wrong with you? You have not seen this movie. Nope. Sorry. You got to see Interstellar, so, man. We'll work on that. Um, well, so in Interstellar, for anyone that's seen it, um, let's just think, think about how well that movie's written, how well it's done. Yeah, sure. It's got space and all that fun stuff before he even goes into space at the 20 minute mark of the movie, Matthew McConaughey has to leave his daughter to go on this internet interstellar flight to save humanity. He has to leave her and she's pleading that she doesn't want him to leave all that kind of stuff. And like you're sitting there choking back tears in the theater because it's so well done and so emotional and the character building, the, the, the bond between the characters was built and crafted so well. And he was able to do that in 20 minutes. Whereas you can watch the last two Disney Star Wars movies that they made and over four hours worth of film, at no point did I even get that emotionally invested in anything. Um, so, you know, you look at... You look at, you know, Luke Skywalker, like the hero's journey, the real true hero's journey. He goes and refuses to do, he, re, he refuses to go. He doesn't want to do it. He has responsibilities. He says, I can't do that. You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, you need to, you know, join me and fight the dark side. And he's like, I don't like the empire, but you know, the, the, you know, the harvest is soon and blah, blah, blah. And he goes from that to like then he goes back home and his family has been torched his aunt and uncle were murdered by the stormtroopers you know and it's like that's the first act that's right off the bat and it's like this change in him conflict like, moves plot <laughs> huh conflict moves plot yeah and so it's like you have this moment where it's like it is so gut-wrenching where it's like he goes back and sees who is a sent his aunt and uncle who are essentially his mother and father sees their burned bodies laying there and he's like and he goes back to obi-wan he says there's nothing left for me i want to learn the ways of the force and become a jedi like my father you know and it's like so now you're on the journey like he because nobody really likes the character that's like yeah i'm gonna be a badass and just go do that like like in the new star wars that character poe i liked him in the first one in the second one he like gets his squad killed because he was being an arrogant douche trying to take down a dreadnought, which was something we were supposed to care about. And I just learned about two minutes into the movie. And, um, and it's like, I don't like that character. I'm not a, nobody likes that character. 
but everybody identifies with and likes Luke Skywalker likes character there are so many characters like that in great movies that no matter who you are it's like a Rorschach test you can see yourself in them and that's what good storytelling does and Hollywood has just completely barfed all over themselves with their ability to tell good stories anymore I mean good example at the beginning of the last Jedi beginning of the last Jedi um you have this General Hux who is supposed to be the big bad you know guy that you're scared of from the Empire yeah and uh then this character Poe comes up with his one little x-wing and tells him a yo mama joke basically like literally he says hey uh, tell him he has a joke he has a message from his mother and he does this joke to like embarrass the guy and the guy looks like an idiot so like if your goal is to set up the movie as a joke then you've succeeded if your goal is to make the intimidating bad guys a joke then you have succeeded but like do you feel like that's not what they're supposed to do like at no point in any of the original Star Wars movies, do you feel comfortable watching the the Darth Vader or the Emperor or anything like that? And you know, and then to just cap off my Star Wars thoughts, because you have Luke Skywalker who goes on this journey, discovers his father is Darth Vader, will not kill his father. So he sits there and he he throws his lightsaber away and says, I'll never do it, I'll never turn to the dark side. And he's willing to die in order to not turn to the dark side and not kill his father and everything like that. And then you fast forward to The Last Jedi and they were like, oh, uh, Luke had a bad dream and he thought about killing his nephew and that made him turn into Kylo Ren. Like the guy that literally said, I'll never turn to the dark side, threw his lightsaber away, wasn't going to kill his family and save the galaxy and sacrificed himself was like, I have a bad feeling that my nephew might kill people, so I'm going to kill him in his sleep. Like, no, that, that, that character doesn't make that jump. He doesn't yeah. make that jump. So it's just... It's there is, just there's an argument that like someone like Luke over years of like neglect and hiding like turns into a commercially hermit. And so I guess that that's just like another character digression, and that could be like a commentary on Well, fans. if you do, you have to have a damn good reason to go there. Not yeah. just oh, I had a bad dream that he might do something. Yeah, like couldn't that couldn't that speak on just how everyone at the, at the end of the day, even if you're one of the most powerful Jedi's in the galaxy, that you're still just human. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, there was no development to that angle. There was no, yeah. there was no arc. There's no arc that gets the gets. Well, that's there, because you know? there hasn't been a spinoff series on it yet, Corey. Oh yeah, I know. I can't wait till that happens. <laughs> Can't wait till that happens. So sorry yeah. for bearing with me through my Star Wars rants, but I mean it's just Hollywood in general. They no, they don't know great. how to tell I mean, good stories. I, I I think we we can point a fiat money right because I and I was hearing actually Tom talk about this uh, Luanga about how I don't know if you watched the Kenobi series at all, but just kind of the same thing. There's no like real investment in characters and not enough time spent with them. And I just think it's banking just, on your nostalgia. No, exactly. He's banking. It's high time preference. We need just need to like throw this shit out, make everything look pretty. We don't need to worry about like directing and like cuts and editing as much. And we just, as long as Hugh McGregor's out there and he fights Christian Haydenson or Hayden Christensen, whatever the fuck his name is, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, 
fireworks at the end, that's great. We just, you know, we, we banked on your nostalgia. Yep. And, and it's funny because that's what they do in the Disney star Wars land down in Florida. I'm like, they made it. Here's how out of touch they are. They made a planet that nobody that has never been showcased in any of the movies be the planet that they show down in Disney. It's like this brand new planet. I was like, I don't want to go. I want to go to Hoth. I want to go. I want to go to Endor. I want to go to Tatooine. I don't want to go to a planet I've never heard of. What the hell are you talking about? Like, that's not how it works. And, and it's just, they've forced so much junk on us. And, and it's just, they've really absolutely. I mean, they took a masterpiece, which was the original trilogy and just absolutely dumped manure and pissed all over it and lit it on fire and just, and it's a steaming pile of crap now where like, it's amazing. I you wouldn't I can't believe that I haven't watched Kenobi or the 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 Boba Fett. I haven't watched either of them. And I'm like maybe I will eventually. I don't know. I just like it doesn't really register to me. And you know, you just you have you have that loss of good storytelling across the board. Um, you know, I think the, the Batman, the new one is amazing and does an incredible job. Um, you know, really? and, and Oh yeah, I mean, even I've watched with, it even three with, times. That's with the Vampire Boy one. Yeah, with Robert Pattinson, which he is a badass in it, and he's amazing. Um, and and I just think Batman's a better hero than all the other superheroes. Like, I like Spider Man a lot, not the not the Marvel version. Nothing against Tom Holland, but they're just so all the Marvel stuff's just so watered down. I I joke about this, but like I remember in the one in Captain America: Civil War. Um, Captain America says something to Tony Stark and Tony Stark's like, this makes me want to punch you in your perfect little teeth. And it's like, Ooh, Oh boy. Like we got edgy there for a second in a Marvel movie, almost felt some emotion. Um, yeah, there um, is a, uh, like DC fans are hardcore because like DC doesn't really bullshit. Right. They're like more. And that doesn't mean that I absolutely hate everything that they did in the Marvel cinematic universe, but it's just a lot of it is so weak. And the other thing is they all rely on special effects and, you know, not using practical effects and whatnot. So it's just, and don't even get me started. I can't even say it. Don't watch how loud I say it. Cause my son, if he hears me, my son loves the Jurassic park movies. And we just started why he watched the first Jurassic park, which is one of the best movies of all time. I thought the actual first time I saw that you're, this is going to be completely like devastating to you. The first time I saw the real, Jurassic Park first time was when they did like a re-release in like 2012 in theaters. I think it was 3D. But I mean that is an, of course like Spielberg, but that is an example of a movie that has everything. Like the characters, the humor, the like whole story, the the, the scare factor. It is um it, it's it, got everything. It's one of the best movies front to back all around. And like to the point like Every time it storms and starts getting stormy, I get scared. <laughs> Not because I'm afraid of storms, but because the way they build up, you know, they're looking at the Triceratops that's sick. Then all of a sudden there's some thunder because the storm's coming and the music picks up and the pace picks up and you start getting this angst about you. And that leads right into them getting stuck outside the T-Rex paddock and like all that stuff happens. And I swear to God, like ever since I've seen that movie, if it's 
a day daytime and it starts getting stormy, I have this uneasy feeling that I can trace back to that part of the movie. And so, it, yeah, it's just so well done. Where it's like the new ones are so CGI heavy and like a little lizard spitting poison on Newman in the rain, just put an imprint on you forever. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, I probably watch that movie once a year. I watch that. Um, and I'm like obsessed with movies, but um, yeah, it's just like, it's so bad. The, like the newer ones, I feel bad because my son, we're taking him to see the new, the newest one in theaters. We're going to take him to see it. But like he wanted to see, he, we watched Jurassic Park. Then I showed him Jurassic World and I was like, eh, kind of cringy. And then we're watching like the second Jurassic World and I'm like, barf, like what in the hell did they do to this? So, you know, we'll take them. It'll be fun because, I mean, it's dinosaurs. But it's like, other than that, where's the value in it? You know, yeah. like, I, like I, there, nothing is urging me to buy a subscription to a platform so that I can watch these new lame movies. Yeah. And, yeah. and to, to speak on that, it's like, how do you avoid as a streaming platform? Because a lot of like the sale is like, you know, exclusive, like you can only get this whether it's a series or a movie and then uh, there's like nothing else and of course netflix has a catalog of everything uh but they'll have like exclusive stuff like they might have like this series but then you can only get rick and morty on hulu or whatever mm-hmm. but like how do you avoid as a streaming platform the the haunting like you know you you hit a brick wall like no outlet to what cable went through it's like there's hundreds of TV stations, but nothing to watch other mm-hmm. than like the exclusive like movies or series. I mean, the, the trick is to manage price, stay affordable and manage your costs. And I've said this before. So like the best thing that Netflix and any of them can do to try and stop movies plus would be to hire me and pay me an amount of money. I couldn't say no because <laughs> um, I'd write the ship for them and fix it. Yeah. Um, but They've been overspending for content for way too long. It's catching up with them. Th- movies don't cost that much money to make. I mean, they I mean, they're never, never never profitable. Like we we talked about this on News by Simple, right? When it like tanked and yeah, like oh, they've been like surviving because of like some hedge fund in Germany or some shit. Yeah, yeah, they they can like you know, let's just say the the newest Star Wars movie that came out. I think the budget was like three hundred million dollars. I know for a fact that movie can be made for $50 million. Like it doesn't cost that much money. There are certain things that do cost money. The, 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 you know, the uh, Irishman doesn't cost, you know, a hundred million dollars to make. It doesn't, you know, sure. There's big salaries for actors, but you also have to like manage them. And like, I think everything is going through a price correction. It's a very fiat thing now that you're seeing where it's like getting into like now that everything is based on numbers and truth with like for the, for the subscription platforms, like they can't lie to themselves, you know, like, and say, Oh, you know, uh, Mel Gibson's worth X number of dollars. And it's like, well, he isn't like, it really comes down to like, you can look at your streaming numbers and go, okay, we released these star Wars movies and barely anybody watched them. Or, you know what I mean? Or like proportionally to what we spent on them, it was a loss and does it make financial sense for us to continue to spend money on that? If people aren't watching the content, the answer is no. Um, then you can go to the actors. It's going to be, and 
adjustment for the actors because their agents are going to be like, I demand, you know, like he got 20 million last time. He needs 25 million this time. And it's like, nobody watches your actors. Nobody gives a crap about them. Like, so no, I'm not paying him that, you know, good luck, you know, and you might get it from another platform who's desperate, but they're going to make a bad financial decision. And it also comes down to telling good stories. It has to be good stories. Again, you have to tell good, no matter what actors in it, no matter who's directing it, anything like that, it all crumbles. If it's a bad story, it all falls apart. If you don't have a story there, that's good to tell. I mean, how many times have you, like there are times we go to see movies and at the end, me and my wife look at each other and go, all I have, all I want to know is why, why was that movie made? Like, what was the purpose there? That story did not need to be told. And yeah, yeah. it's empty. They banked on your nostalgia. Cause like, yeah. So, you know, it just, for us, it comes down to like, you know, never getting out of that mindset of like being like gorilla style, like, you know, f- you know, working, not working cheaply, but like, you know, making sure we're not overspending on things whenever we do produce content, you making mean, sure reasonable expectation and a balanced budget. Yeah. And then like, you also have to measure things properly, you know, to go like, okay, Hey, you know, let's find a way to analyze and make sure if like, you know, if we, if we step outside what we've been doing and we do a big, you know, comedy, like buddy comedy movie, you know, like, we have to really closely watch how this performs to see if it was worth it. You can take risks, but like, you know, Netflix and all of them, they were just like, our subscribers keep going up and our stock price keeps going up. So obviously everything's working. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. And now that we, you know, that's the beauty of Bitcoin. I know we didn't talk about Bitcoin a ton, but <laughs> that's the beauty of Bitcoin is that you get on a Bitcoin world and like, you can't lie through money printing you can't lie through inflation or anything like that you know because they always they sit there with those those stupid ticket box office numbers and they go smashes box office records but if you look at the actual number of tickets sold it's not breaking box office records of course because they inflate the price and it costs 15 dollars to go see a movie now of course it's going to crush jaws you know jaws movie tickets were like two dollars and fifty cents like of course the numbers are gonna be huge so you know it's just it's a sad decline in the bitcoin uh, the, in the not in the bitcoin world in the in the movie world and you know with it's not decline money, it's an evolution right and people yeah. say this about like money finance or the world like we're not we're not going through a revolution it might be a devolution but it's devolving into like something new so it's more of an evolution so it's just true. a transition true um oh man i feel bad we didn't even really get to talk about my article do you want to talk about that real quick yeah so what about i mean it, it, was, it was your story man i think it was it was great it was just like straight straight to the point like your experience i mean just i mean what made you want to write it what what's about what's the main takeaway we should walk away with well, I guess the reason I wanted to write it was because I want it as a future warning to other people that come into the Bitcoin space in future cycles, because everybody, if you don't know, you can read it on Bitcoin magazine. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I basically said I, I FOMO'd in. I had been paying attention for years, you know, back to 2011, 12, whenever I saw my uh, friend was making the movie about it. And then I 
kept saying oh, i'm too late um ignoring it when it got up to the all-time high in 2017 i was like this is insane and then it crashed and i felt justified but then like i remember being like oh my god it didn't die it and i kept paying attention to it and i was like oh crap i should really be around for this and then uh, i think what really piqued me before the money printing was I had heard that the having or having was coming up and I was like, what's this all about? So I looked like, Oh, in a couple months, there's a Bitcoin having, I didn't put this in the article. And I was like, Ooh, the supply goes down. And then that was the first time I like, Oh, okay. Ah, like this, this is going down. There's not, there's a decrease in supply, but an increase in demand. Duh. So, um, you know, by the time I realized they're going to print money like crazy, I FOMO'd in and then enjoyed quite the meteoric rise. And like I jokingly said, by the time I got to the 60Ks in spring of 2021, I was so smart. I was a genius. And it was Satoshi and I that had done it together, just the two of us. Mm. Everybody else was just riding on our coattails. Um, and then it fell apart. But then it went back up. And I was like, I knew it. I knew I wasn't an idiot. I knew that it wasn't going to go down like because I was, you know, you see people warn and say you can lose 80% of your value because Bitcoin can drop 80%. And I was like, that's BS. That's not going to happen. Um, and so when it, dri- when it dropped 50%, I was like, oh, crap. Um, as one of my coaches would say, your buttholes are so tight, you can slide a greased BB up there. Um, and then it went back up. And I was like, ah. Oh. We didn't, it wasn't like last time I survived, man. Am I lucky that I got, I didn't have to live through a big bear market. I didn't have to live through anything like that. We're going to hundred K here we go. And then, yeah, and then we, and then it fell and it fell, but it still didn't go down beyond below 50%. We were hovering around 30, you know, grand. And it was like, oh, this is obviously the bottom you know, like it, it doesn't go lower than there's no way it's never gone below its previous all-time high. It's not going to do that. And then over the last couple of weeks, it was just all the way down. And that was the first time that I was like, Oh damn it. I don't know anything. And really the name of the game. So that's the whole purpose of the article is to just tell people the name of the game that I've learned is to just, you know, you know, head down and work hard, keep your chin up, don't, you know, sulk and just stack sats and don't bank on Bitcoin being your life changing fortune. You've got to crush it in the fiat mining world. And if you do that for long enough, you know, I mean, we're talking like four or five years. If you just you know, focus, work hard for four or five years, stacking sats and don't look at the price of Bitcoin and don't look at your stack and just keep, just keep adding to the pile, keep throwing more on. I guarantee you in five years, you're going to turn around and go, damn, holy crap. Um, Cause I've seen it from people like that I've talked to, you know, that haven't like, they've disclosed a little bit of like, you know, their, their portfolio. And like, we were talking, you know, like, of their story. Cause I'm asking people, I'm like, how do you get through this? And they're like, and that's the advice I keep getting. You just got to keep your head down. You got to keep, you know, working away and stacking sats. And, and as we've seen with people that have had meltdowns recently, you know, 
like what Odell says, I, I quoted it twice in the article. I couldn't quote it more though. And it's so accurate. It's stay humble and stack sets. Um, you know, a lot of people in this place do that. Look around and follow them. You know, the Swan brothers, Guy Swan and Jeff Swan, you know, <laughs> they've been around since the first bear market in 2011. So, you know, focus people like on people like that who they have been around, they've been here before, they don't get too high, they don't get too low. They, they just stay humble and stack sats. And, you know, um, you know, you'll notice if you look through all the people, like they don't get into the mania. Those are the ones that are still just kind of like level-headed, like the Swan brothers, you know, Preston Pish is one that comes to mind. There's tons of them, but like they, they didn't get too manic, you know, like even when Bitcoin was like in the 60 Ks, it was like, wow, this is crazy. This is cool. But it wasn't like FOMO in 300 K, you know, it was like, you know, stick to the fundamentals and, um, and just expect that, it's going to break down and it's not all going to work out because there's, unfortunately you can tell you walk, you look on Twitter and I was one of these people too, till recent. Um, and I could see it in myself in other people. And then I was like, Ooh, I think I have a problem. Um, I was too, I was too invested. Um, so if you are relying too heavily on Bitcoin to go not Bitcoin's number going up, if that is your key to, you know, your future wealth, then you're relying on the wrong thing because you, you don't Just know when that number little. is going to, yeah, you don't know when the number is going up. So in the meantime, build, build, build. I was on a call earlier today, like a straight business call with the Bitcoin racing team. We were talking about that. Like they're building something awesome, awesome with their Bitcoin racing. And we want to do some stuff together that we were talking about. And I was giving them a little insight of what we're doing at movies plus. And we, we all looked at each other and we're like, this is exactly what they talk about when the, the generational wealth is built during the bear market, because you have to kill it business-wise. You have to provide value to others and increase your stack. And then five years from now, whenever Bitcoin's, you know, $250,000 a coin, you're going to be so glad that you were stacking sats like crazy when Bitcoin was stuck at 20K. That's right. That was great, Corey. I know you got a hard stop, but um, we will definitely see each other around. Hope I see you guys around as well, or you see us, or hear us, wherever you can. We're everywhere. Uh, this has been a boy named Sue. It's Mr. CDU. I've been Phil Gibson. This has been uh, a great conversation. And don't forget to grab a Bitbox O2 Harbor Wallet, uh, our dear beloved sponsors. And yeah, it's all about just, you know, if you dig this, share it out. We're just trying to get content out there, burn down the cathedral and just put truth bombs in people's ears because we need it more than ever. Uh, More than ever. More than ever. Thanks a lot, dude. All right, dude. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome to be a guest. I'm glad that I hope I didn't bore anybody. No, not at all. Peace.